So uh, last week we talked about being godly rich, and uh, this week we're going to talk about being humble and serving. And um, I want to just start off, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there, and it's going to be interesting how, how we get there. And, and, uh, but I, I'm glad if you're a man, you're here today. Uh, I think you're going to uh, like this. It's, it's not very often that churches have um, more men than women in the church, uh, or even equal. It's usually a lot of women and children in church and, and not a lot of men. And so I think it's important. It's, I, I think that really shows uh, the, the heart of a church is when you see men in church. Um, because uh, as, as Barry pointed out, you know, in just talking about um, abortions, I mean, if, if you're going to um, have healthy families, you need, you need the husband and the wife. You need a man in that. So, man, you're going to like this uh, message um, I'm a man, I like it, so um, I'm going to start off by asking a question. Would you agree that men and women communicate a little differently? Yeah, some common beliefs are that women, women talk about people and relationships and feelings, and men talk about things. Women like to talk to make emotional connections. Men talk to get things done. Does that sound about right so far? Uh, women talk to enhance cooperation and promote equality. Men talk to prove who's better. Am I right? Okay, so these are common beliefs. This is not me coming up with this. But if all that's actually true, then all marriages would be doomed from the start, if you think about it. Because we communicate so differently. Unless you find a way to see those differences as compliments. And that is often how it is in marriages, where you have to find those differences and not do this, but find a way to do this. And um, it's, not, it's not always easy, but we, we need to find ways to strengthen uh, marriages uh, as... Um, believers, as, as you know, we go out into the world, we want to have marriage, that marriages that are strong, building up marriages. You might have heard it, you might have mentioned it, uh, or it's in your program, but we have something coming up here, and I'm, I want to invite you, if you're married, to our Marriage Strengthening Conference and Dinner Extravaganza. That's coming up in March. I believe the date is Saturday, March 12th. But it's going to be our best ever. We've had it before. And we've just had the dinner portion, and we've had a few speakers, but this year we're going the extra mile. It's going to be our best ever. We have a wonderful couple that's going to come in, and it's going to um, walk us through uh, some awesome material for couples only that will strengthen your marriage. And then also we have a new caterer, a couple. Um, They've done um, some stuff for us before, and they got a top-notch menu. So if, if, if you aren't here Saturday, March 12th, you are missing out as a married couple. Please plan to come. Uh, It's going to be awesome. And uh, one of the things that I'm sure we'll talk about is communicating and how it's a little different between men and women. One thing I didn't mention is that women talk more than men. One study says that women talk three times more than men. But I know a time when men can out-talk the ladies. 
and that is when it comes to the goat. The GOAT. GOAT is an acronym, in case you don't know. It stands for, men. There you go. And right now it's the NFL playoffs. And yesterday the games were exciting, unexpected. When guys get together to watch football, they like to talk about football. And one of the conversations that will be happening all over the world, leading up to the Super Bowl, is who is the greatest quarterback of all time? Who is the GOAT? And the guy in the lead is still playing at 44 years of age. Tom Brady, U of M grad, go blue. Or maybe you think the greatest of all time is Aaron Rodgers, or Joe Montana, or Drew Brees, or Dan Marino, or John Elway, or Peyton Manning, or Terry Bradshaw, or Johnny Unitas, or who else comes to mind, men? You have your favorites. Who do you think is the GOAT? We like to talk about this. We're men. We love to argue about it. It's in our nature to claim that we know best. If you could measure egos at birth, doctors would confirm little baby boys have egos triple the size of little baby girls. I'm a firm believer if you can do it. There's so much pride in some boys, they need a C-section. You might get that one later in the car ride home, I don't know. If a mother was to deliver twin boys, I think they would start competing by seeing who could cry the loudest. Boys love to compete. Men love to talk, to boost their ego, to fuel their pride. Am I right, man? Can I hear you say amen? amen. What? That's amen. all I got? Men, can I hear you say amen? amen? There we go. That's why it was no surprise to Jesus that when he had his 12 young men, his disciples, and he called them to follow him around for three and a half years during his ministry, it's no surprise that they argued a lot. In fact, one of those arguments recorded by the Gospel of Mark, it catches the men, the, the boys, arguing about who is the goat. And if you don't believe it, let's look at it. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. They came to the town Capernaum, and Jesus was in the house, and he asked them, what were you boys talking about on the way over here? Verse 34, they were silent a little embarrassed, because on the way over, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. It's right there in the scripture. It's right there. So he sat down, and he huddled up the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And the words of Gary Coleman, what you talking about, Jesus? We're not, we're not last. We don't serve when we're the goat. That's crazy talk. But Jesus didn't talk like most men, did he? No. And he was teaching them an important lesson. Teaching them about humility and how to control your pride. God taught this same lesson to the very first boy. His name was Cain. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve had Cain 
and his brother Abel. And when you have two brothers, you have rivalry. If you have siblings, you have rivalry. Am I right? Of course. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say first fruits. It just says fruit. That means he didn't bring his best. Verse 4, Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. He brought his firstborn, his best, and he gave it to God as an offering. And so the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And that made Cain very angry. His face fell. What got bruised on that day? His ego, his pride. That's right. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Don't you know if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, like many men, Cain had a pride problem. He had a pride problem. And when you have a pride problem, it can lead to many sins. In fact, I believe the root of many of our sins comes back to pride. And God warned Cain, you need to deal with this pride problem, otherwise it's going to get out of control, and it's going to mess up your life. God telling Cain this. But he didn't listen to God. And what did he do? He killed his brother. He murdered his brother. That's the result, and God punished him for it. Proverbs 16, 18 sums it up nicely. Pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Or as I simply like to say all the time, pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. Because pride, pride can lead to a lot of bad things. And you can probably think of a lot of situations in your life where you realize, yeah, my pride got the best of me. You know, pride, when you lose, pride can cause you to get very angry and, and, and hurt yourself, even, with your anger. When someone does better than you, or they're better than you, or more talented than you, pride can cause you to just say mean things about them, to be mean towards them. Maybe you can think of a situation where that happened. When life doesn't go your way, pride can lead you to hurt other people. Pride can lead to a lot of bad things. But it doesn't always. Pride can cause you to yell and cheer for your favorite team. Pride can make you give your very best at school or at work. Pride can lead you to actually say nice things about people that you care about and you're proud of. So pride can lead to good things, but it seems that in the Bible we see, and most of the time we see, and we refer to pride in a negative way, it leads to bad things. But pride in itself is neutral. It's what it leads to. Pride is fickle, volatile, very unstable. And one day, it's a match that starts a fire to warm your house. But the next day, it's a match that starts a forest fire and ruins communities. Pride. Pride has to be kept under control. It's dangerous otherwise. And the Bible warns us, control it. 
So how do you do that? Well, I probably could make a million dollars selling books if I knew how to answer that question, right? How do you control pride? Well, I think the answer is in the good book, the one that's already been written, the answer is to be humble. I think that's the example that we see given by Jesus, being humble, which is the opposite of being prideful, letting your pride get out of control, is to be humble. But you know what? Humble, being humble, I think, is something we have to practice. Being prideful, I think, comes naturally. It comes from our selfish, sinful nature. But being humble takes practice. That's why Paul told Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be humble. And so all of us need to train ourselves to be humble, lest our pride gets out of control and hurts other people and causes us to sin and do things that we never thought we would ever do. I doubt Cain ever thought he would kill his brother, but he did because he let his pride get out of control. Before I give you the three examples I have of Jesus training his disciples to be humble, I want to share with you about King Hezekiah. If you read in 1st and 2nd Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Kings, kind of a history of the kings of the Israelite people, the Jewish nation. And uh, you might recall that after King David, who was kind of like, you know, the example, all the other kings that followed, most of them, they didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, it'll end their, it'll end their reign, it'll talk about what they did briefly, and then it'll say, this king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or, Sometimes it'll say, this king did right in the eyes of the Lord, like King David. Always comparing back to King David. Well, King Hezekiah, in the end, did right in the eyes of the Lord. He was considered to be a good king. But, check this out in 2 Chronicles 32. He wasn't perfect. Verse 25, Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him because his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. He's the king, he's the leader. Wrath came upon him and all the people because his pride got out of control. But what did he do? He repented. He repented. It says in verse 26, he humbled himself in the pride of his heart. And so he and his inhabitants of Jerusalem, the wrath of the Lord did not come. It stopped in the days of Hezekiah, because he repented. He turned away from his pride, and he humbled himself, and God blessed him. And so I think if you want to hear, or I hope you hear that more than anything, is that if you have a pride problem, the answer is humble yourself. Get it under control. Turn it over to God. Repent of it. Confess it. God will heal you. I love that great, that great um, prayer of King Solomon. He said, if, you, if my people will humble themselves and they will pray, then I will bless them. And so we must keep that in mind, that that is the solution. If we ever find ourselves and our pride is out of control, that we need to humble ourselves. So let's look at these examples that Jesus gives us. We begin in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Luke 18 and you want to mark this in your Bible. It's a great story. I, I, I don't know why, I just love this this particular story, it just is a, 
just kind of always seem to be referring back. If you would like a free Bible, we have them underneath the seats in front of you somewhere or in the back shelf. You can take one home. They're for you. Um, Verse 9, he told a parable, Jesus talking to his disciples. He said, some trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. By the way, tax collectors, Jewish people, but despised because they're collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. The Pharisee, the really religious one, standing by himself, prayed to God, said, God, I thank you, I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get, 10%. But the tax collector didn't even approach the place of prayer, standing far off, didn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, beat his chest and said, God, Be merciful to me, because I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you this, that man went down to his house justified, not the Pharisee. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pride can cause you to compare yourself to other people. Pride can lead you to think that you are better than other people. And if you find yourself doing that, then that's a pride problem. If you're making yourself feel good because you compare yourself to somebody else that is less religious or less faithful or less prayerful than you, that's a pride problem. And you got to deal with that. And I love how God deals with it. How his fix, what is his fix? If you want to compare yourself to other people, God says, I tell you what, compare yourself to my son Jesus. See how you do. It's very humbling when you think about it. Because you might think like this Pharisee, oh, I give, I tithe the church. I give 10% of my income to the church, which is uncommon these days. But that's what God, is, I think, is the minimum requirement. If you think, oh man, I give a tithe, I'm giving 10% to the church. Well, Jesus gave his life, that's 100%. You're falling short. <laughs> you think, oh man, I barely ever say a bad word. Jesus never said a wrong word. Compare yourself to him. It's humbling. You might think, oh, I I pay my taxes. I'm really good. Well, a couple things I, you know, but yeah, I I do what I, Jesus paid all his taxes. You know that story. Go go catch a fish, Peter. And in the mouth of the fish was, was a coin that paid his taxes. He paid all his taxes and he paid his neighbors too, his friends. The point is, our goal is to be humble. And we will always be humble if we only compare ourselves to Jesus. If we start comparing ourselves to other people, well, that's when the pride 
starts to swell up. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. You're never going to be better than Jesus. But you should try. You should strive. Even Jesus said that on the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Strive for that perfection. So that's the first example he gives his disciples. Then he says in Mark chapter 10, after a visit by James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, and Matthew actually records that um, the, their mother, his, their, the boy's mother, came and re- made this request. Uh, Mark records it as, as the, the boy. So that there was probably, mom was probably there, you know, how moms can be. Go on, ask him. Go on, get up there, ask him. So they came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. Because they viewed the Messiah as one who would be king. And they wanted to sit at the top two spots in Jesus' new kingdom. That was, their, that was their request. And so when the other ten boys heard about it, they were tickled pink. No, they weren't. They were mad. They were angry, furious. And Jesus then said this. Because leaders like to lord over other people. When you're in charge, you ever see uh, the oldest child get put in charge? My mom would go away sometimes and say, Matt's in charge. Oh. (laughs) The power would go straight to my head. That's what we like to do. We like to lord over people. And Jesus says, you don't do that. You don't do that. He says, verse 43, It shall not be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The word is diakonos. It's deacon. It's the word we use for deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The bond slave, the the servant in the house. For even the Son of Man, I love this verse, many of you have it memorized, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom, to give his life as a ransom for many. See, our world thinks like the pyramid. Thinks like the pyramid. In the corporate world, in most organizations, the world thinks like the pyramid. You start off at the bottom, and you work your way to the top. Most of the people are at the bottom of the pyramid in this world. There's very few that really make it to the top. And when you when you make it to the top, it's probably why leaders act the way they act, because it's very few up there. But, it, you know, it, it's a tough world out there. Most people are at the bottom. I, you know, I, I love the great philosopher Norm Peterson. He once said, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm wearing milk-bone underwear. <laughs> From Cheers, you know, Norm Peterson. Not really a philosopher, but he always had those, those statements. That's a tough world out there really tough. So when you get to the top, you know, you kind of you kind of want to rule over everyone. But Jesus says, no, turn the pyramid upside down. That's what Jesus says. The people on top really should be the ones serving. But I don't think that would ever fly in corporate world today. I just can't imagine people like Bill Gates mopping the floor, Elon Musk picking up the dry cleaning, 
and Mark Zuckerberg taking out the trash. I, I just don't see that happening. You know, you're a CEO. That's too, those are tasks for other people. But what did Jesus teach his disciples? Don't expect others to serve you. Serve them first. And serve them fully. Because it says he gave his life as a ransom for many. You were kidnapped by your sin. And Jesus gives you his life. He paid the price. He paid the ransom. Last example is in John 13. So we've been going through the harmony of the Gospels, all of 2021, three years of Jesus' life. And then this beginning of this year, it's like the last six months, and now we're kind of moving right into the last week of his life. And here we have in John 13, the very last week of his life in which he, and I'm jumping a little ahead just to share this particular story and this example. This is when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. It was before the feast of the Passover, verse 1, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end with this example. Verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and he took a towel and he tied it around his waist, poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around himself. I'll skip the part about his conversation with Peter. I'll let you read that for yourself. This is in John 13. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place at the table, the head of the table, by the way, because he's Jesus, they said, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? you you've been calling me teacher and Lord. Like, you, you've been call, you started off calling me teacher, rabbi, but then God revealed to you who I am, and then you started calling me Lord. I'm your teacher, and I'm your Lord. And you're right, that's who I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example you should do Just as I have done to you, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, when guests come over your house for dinner, back in that day, it would be the lowest servant's job to wash their feet. Because they wore sandals, the roads were dirty, and they would come into your house, and the lowest servant would wash the guest's feet. Well, they were in the upper room, and they didn't have servants, and so no one washed anybody's feet. But then Jesus did it. He did something that, well, I think is just plain old nasty. I don't think feet are adorable at all, unless they're little babies. You get to some age, I've said this before, and then feet just get gross. I'm sorry, ladies, you can put all the paint on the toes you want. Feet are just not pretty, in my opinion. This is just my opinion. But Jesus washes their nasty feet. And with this one act, he sets the precedent. If you call yourself a Christian, if you say you're a Jesus follower, then you need to wash one another's feet. And he doesn't really mean that literally. I know there's churches that take John chapter 13 literally, and they have foot-washing services, 
<laughs> it's just nasty and a little weird, frankly, isn't it? I mean, we like to have fun events here, you know, like the Super Bowl coming up, you know. You can invite your friend to that. You know, come to my church. We're going to have some soup after church. It's going to be great. Not come to my church so some stranger can tickle your feet and wash your feet. That's just weird. I'm not comfortable with that. But Jesus taught this. Amen. Be humble. Be humble and serve. And sometimes that means we do the nasty things. We do the lowliest of things. I remember one time our church went on a one-day mission trip. We went to um, an area in Detroit that was pretty well abandoned. There were a few houses there, but they were, there was a ministry in there. There were some folks that were ministering, and they, they they had invited some of us to come and, and do a cleanup, and we didn't really know what we were going to do, but we just knew we were going to try to beautify this neighborhood. One of the jobs we had to do was we had to clean out a, an abandoned house. And let me tell you something. We saw some stuff and smelled some stuff that almost made us throw up. But we did it because we were doing something that we felt was going to be glorifying to God and serving this particular neighborhood. And afterwards, we boarded it up, and then they painted it. And it, it, when it was all done, it, it's a vacant house, but it looked nice. It didn't look and, and have, you know, different things going on. I remember there was a uh, couple in our church years ago. We got a call. There was a homeless, pregnant woman with nowhere to go. And this couple took her into their, to their house. She brought with her, with her bed bugs. And they didn't kick her out. They loved her. And they served her until she got back on her feet. Be humble and serve. And our community needs more of this. More of us serving and loving others, no matter what it is they're asking us to do. And I'm very thankful to all of you who serve because what you do is important. And I've said this many times before, the people in the nursery right now are just as important as me standing on the stage because they're taking care of little ones so that mom and dad can hear the message. And the kids are being taught a lesson that they can understand, and so I'm thankful for those that teach our kids. I'm thankful for all the ministries that we have here and all the things that you do, but we need more. We need everyone to be serving. And so I'd ask ask this simple question. If you're not serving, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Is it an invitation? Some people, you know, they wait to get invited over to your house for dinner. And some people invite themselves. I like to invite myself to your house for dinner. In fact, it's very possible if I've been to your house before, I might know better what's in your fridge than you do. You're laughing, but this is a true story. One time in high school, I went to my friend's house. He wasn't there yet. He was on his way home. His parents invited me in. I sat down on the couch. The dad opened up the fridge. He said, can I offer you something to drink? I got this, this, this. And I said, I, I didn't hear anything I liked. I said, can I have one of those Boku drinks? He said, what? We don't have that. I go, sure you do. Look behind the milk curtain. I knew what was in his fridge better than he knew what was in his fridge. 
why I like to hang out at that house a lot. But, you know, you don't have to ask me to serve. If I go to, to, to if I was to come to this church, I would want to jump in as quick as I can. I, I like to tell the story of, of Vince. Vince is back doing our security right now, but, you know, Vince came, he's been serving ever since. And he even started his own ministry. We have, his ministry is, and, and he likes to tell a story, but his ministry is, he comes to the church a couple times a week and he picks up all the trash that's around the building and everything. And he does it because he wants people to feel good about coming to, to the building. He just started his own ministry. Praise the Lord. He's serving. I didn't have to ask him to do that. I would have never thought of that. But it's an important thing. I know everyone's not like Vince or, or me. So you might need a little encouragement to serve. So I got three questions that you can ask yourself. If you ever thought about, you know what, yeah, I like life of purpose. It's my home. I'm going to come here. It's my church. But I want to serve. What do I do? How do I do it? Here's three questions you can ask yourself. Three questions when it comes to serving the Lord. Number one, what are you passionate about? What am I passionate about? Ask yourself that. What am I passionate about? What do I love? Who do I love? Number two, what am I good at? What am I talented at? And number three, what has God gifted me to do? You have the Holy Spirit in you. He's gifted you. Everyone has been given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You have a spiritual gift, and God has given it to you to edify his church, to build up his church. So what is that, and how do I put those three together and find my ministry? Find out how I can serve. When I, was first, when I first started going to church, I was about 25, 24, 25 years old. At that time in my life, I loved one thing um, besides my girlfriend at the time. Uh, I loved coaching basketball to teenagers. Loved it. Loved it. And I also um, felt like coaching just kind of came natural to me kind of been sports all my life. I had a kind of a talent for it. You know, I had a knack for it. And then I got saved, and God blessed me with, I believe, the ability to teach and encourage. And so when you put all those together, what I love to do, what I was talented and good at, and what God had given me to do, it was such an easy thing to say, youth ministry. And that's what I did for years. I was in youth ministry. Jamie started going to church same time as me. She loves singing. Can you tell? She was performing since she was a little girl in plays, in musicals. She's always been a performer, talented. And God gifted her with many gifts, and I think one of them is mercy, helping, you know, showing compassion, love for others. Put all that together, where does she start serving? Same place she's serving today, in the music ministry. That's where she's been serving. Of course, she's been, when you're, when, when you're leaders in the church, you serve everywhere. <laughs> right, honey? <laughs> you do everything. Uh, there were times in this church, uh, and I always love to tell the story, when we first started off, we had about 20 folks. We were meeting in a school, and Ellie was baby. Now look at her. Going to be 17 next month, and she's handling our media ministry at this moment in time. 
But I would hold her in the back, you know, keep her from, you know, yelling and screaming and crying. And, and Jamie would sing on the stage, and then we would meet about halfway in the aisle, and I'd hand her off, and I'd come up and preach. And we, we, we just, our kids don't know any different. My parents serve. I don't, I don't think they would know what else to do but to serve in the church. What do you love? What are you good at? What has God given you the gift to do? When you can answer those questions, then it's easy. You just, you just find that ministry. You be humble and serve. And we need you. We have lots of opportunities. Even Barry mentioned a couple things that, that um, our Embrace Grace ministry needs. But we need you here. There's things like media, uh, video editing, advertising, designers, handymen, handywomen, painters, teachers, prayer warriors, the list goes on and on. You got a couple hours a week that you can give to the Lord? We can use you. The Lord can use you. Let's figure out how to find a way to make you serve or, or help you serve. And if you don't have a couple hours a week, come back next week. I'm talking about time management next week. We'll figure out two hours for you so you can serve the Lord. Every Christian needs to have a ministry that they belong to. It's a ministry that you love and you're good at and God has gifted you to it. And sometimes you just need to try out a few things. Sometimes you change ministries. You know, you serve in one ministry for a few years and then you serve in another. But when you find the right fit, Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. And it truly is a better blessing to give, to serve others, you feel like you're getting more out of it than they are when you're, when you're in the right spot, when you're in the sweet spot. So I'd love for you, as I finish this up, and invite our, our uh, team to come back up and sing our final song. I'd love for you to take that connection card on that chair in front of you. And I'd love for you just to, to fill out on there where you think you might fit best in serving. Maybe you already know. Maybe those questions are easy. Man, I'm really, I love this. I'm really good at this. And uh, God's definitely, I know he's, he's you know, gifted me to do that. I want to serve in this ministry, or I think this would be a great ministry here at Life of Purpose. Write that down. I'll call you this week or email you. I'll, I'll touch base with you. And if you don't know yet, just write down, I'm willing to serve. I don't know what it is yet, but call me anyway, or give me a week. Fill out that connection card. When you fill out that connection card, back by that TV in the left there, there's an offering basket. You can put it right in there, and we'll touch base with you. I don't see you leaning forward and grabbing those connection cards. This is how it works. You lean forward, you grab that out of there, and there's a pen somewhere nearby there, and you fill that up. Team, come on up and let's play this final song. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for all that you have given us and blessed us with. And God, I'm so thankful that you have given each of us a gift. And that gift should be used to serve you and to build up your church. Father, you have loaded this church with talented people, people that love you and want to serve you and are serving you. And Father, I just pray that we could just, we wouldn't live by that, that uh, saying of 10% of people do all the work. But let it be reversed. Let it be 90% of the people do the work. 
Let us be a church that serves and sees more and more come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father. May you bless those that are serving and may you bless those that want to serve and, and help us to, to plug them in. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.